anything about bacon? The meat? Yeah. Or the action, but mostly the meat. It's kind of greasy, honestly. Yeah. It's it's like toaster waffles. There are those 15 seconds after it's done where you can eat it, and then after that it becomes a cold, unappealing mess. Sure, 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 I sure. liked bacon a lot, and there was an era on the internet where you couldn't not like bacon because all the humor was bacon-based, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> But I don't know. These days, I don't really miss it that much. Yeah, I don't have it too often. I like it in a BLT. I have some Canadian bacon, which is just ham. But but that's fine. That's fine. It's not the same. It's not the same, but I don't like, I just don't want bacon that bad. Mm. If I want that salty pig taste, I'll go for ham over bacon. What about a nice prosciutto? I like a prosciutto. That. It's a little rich for my blood, you know? We're not it's a little fancy. Well, yeah, you can't have it every day. Hoity-toity prosciutto boy over can't here. Can't be slamming prosciutto pizzas every day. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew, I guess. Can you... Was there a reason for that? Or are you yeah, just I thinking about bacon? About, I want to talk about bacon because... Uh, bacon. 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 bacon, bacon comes that, from... The dog. Love, love that the, bacon. Love those ads. Love that um, bacon dog. Comes from pigs... And the book we're talking about this week is about a lady who made pigs famously once in a story <laughs> that we all uh-huh. know. In a story that we all know and love. Um, so every week on the show, one of us, that's all the open. I don't really have more about the bacon thing. That's fine. No, Just it needed was, to get I us think to we pigs. did all, all that we could possibly do. With the bacon. Um, Andrew, you read a book this week. You're going to tell me about it and our listeners about it. What did you read? I read Circe by Madeline Miller. Sure. What's that? What? Who's that? A, what is that book? <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> um, Circe is a book. It, it was came out in 2018, so it's pretty recent. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we had talked about reading it as part of our Stop Homer Time series, but then I just decided to read it. Yeah. So it's easier that way. We were ready to move on to Hellboys, <laughs> our new project. Yeah, check out patreon.com slash overdue pod and sign up for Hellboys. And it is it draws heavily upon established myth, but also it's a it's a text from Cersei's perspective that paints her in a more like sympathetic light than she often has been portrayed in pop culture. Sure. Or in any culture. Yeah, like medieval like renaissance christianity was not super hot on cersei yes. who lured men to her island to have sex with them and then turned men into animals thus yes. emasculating them the the middle-aged tabloids had lots of mm-hmm. negative things to say about cersei yeah um madeline miller so like a lot of people recommended this book to us um and it's a Mad- good book it yeah. slaps i don't know i haven't read that many books that slap <laughs> this one slaps Okay. I heard someone refer to a person as a bop the other day, and I told them to leave the room. <laughs> Language doesn't mean anything anymore. Know, it's just it's like words true. Words are just, you know, bacon. people can say and do whatever they want. This book is bacon. Post truth. That's what I'm saying. Um, Madeline Miller uh, is the author. A lot of people recommend this book to us because of the Stop Home Time podcast. That's what I was going to say. Um, but Madeline Miller was born in 1978. This is only her second book. Yeah, the um, first one's the Song of Achilles, yes, right? Yes, very well regarded. Um, that came out in 2011. It apparently took her 10 years to write. It was her debut novel. She had gone uh, to school for classics at Brown, 
spent a uh, year surprise 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 yes spent a year uh at u chicago another year at yale doing like dramaturgy stuff that's a very good program um and what do you know about it? <laughs> I know a lot of people who've gone to Yale for drama. That's a All good right. drama school. Sure. Um, if you're going to take a, that many years out of your life to and potentially pay a lot of money to get a degree in that, maybe you go to Yale. Like sure. either either get into the school or just like go do the work. Um, okay. And she was teaching, um, I think, after after doing all that studying and then was writing this book on the side. Uh, this is Song of Achilles. And it is like exploring the love affair of Achilles and Patroclus from the Iliad, uh, which is kind of neat because I think like when people asked her about it, like where she got the idea to do that and make it like an explicitly uh, like homosexual love affair between the two of them i think her response was i got it from plato <laughs> like basically yeah like i got it from 2800 years yes. of literary tradition the like actual it's... text that talks about them kissing and stuff and this isn't i mean this is and this is not to say that she's coming up with nothing original but most of the stories in here like the the, the stuff from the odyssey is the is the you know the core of it but a lot of the other stories in here have their genesis in um it's mostly the metamorphoses the the ovid oh okay collection of stories sure sure um but there is a little bit drawn from plays like medea um mm-hmm. that's a euripides joint i think yes. deals most directly yes. with her um and yeah they're just they're characters from myth like everybody's faves just popping in and out of this thing <laughs> Um, but it sounds but like, like I don't I don't think she invented like the the character who Telegonus, who is her son, who she has with Odysseus. No, that she she had not. So that is its own epic poem that was written as a the the Telegony or the Telegony, but probably the Telegony, um, written as a sequel to the Odyssey, right? By a dude named Eugamon. Um, though it's my favorite Digimon, <laughs> though a third century Christian theologist writer says that maybe Yugamon stole it from another poet, who knows? Um, well, and we had, I think, in an earlier Homer Time episode, we had suggested that the story did not exist anymore because it wasn't that good. It sounds like. <laughs> kind of a direct-to-video kind of yeah. sequel to the odyssey and, and like like any good lost direct-to-video sequels we don't actually have the dvd anymore we just have someone's like rotten tomatoes review of it mm-hmm. um so in the telegony circe there's like a whole part of it that's odysseus like going where he goes after the odyssey and like fighting people i don't know thea thea somewhere i don't remember okay um, he goes somewhere else. He's got stuff sure. to do. If and then so. Cersei sends her son with Odysseus uh, to go find him. He like gets in a storm and lands on Odysseus' island, thinking it's somewhere else. So he starts like looting and plundering. They get in a big fight. He kills Odysseus with a stingray spine um, and then is sad about it and then takes Penelope and Telemachus back to Cersei's island where he marries Penelope and Cersei marries Telemachus and everyone's immortal now. Cool. Okay. Sounds like a good time to me, Mm -hmm. I think. Uh, So yeah, she drew on that. From what I saw, she like 
I, there was an interview or a profile she was in in the New York Times um, by Alexander Alter where she talked about like not using some stuff from Ovid, like cutting out some stuff that didn't help the type of character she was trying to build. Like yeah, and, the, and and the way that the book deals with all of this is it's like everything that you've heard through some bard has probably been exaggerated or, or corrupted mm, in some way. Interesting. To interesting. make it a to make it a better story or to serve the agenda of whoever it is is telling the the tale. So, sure, sure. Yeah. Um so none of the none of these depictions are necessarily incompatible, but this is presented as the canonical version of Cersei's oh, existence. Okay. Um, worth just pointing out, Song of Achilles won the Orange Prize for Fiction in 2012. It's the award that's given to like uh, English language novels written by women. Um, I think it is now just renamed the Women's Prize for Fiction, which I think this book is nominated for as well. Um, and yeah, there's just... It sounds like with that, with Song of Achilles, she was like going back into the past and making what had become subtext over millennia back into text mm-hmm. um and this seems like what if we took a character that has been interpreted a bunch and just imagined what an original version could be like what sure. is that ver- what is that character's version of this yeah because there's stuff that doesn't make it into this like apparently in some versions like Cersei and Odysseus have multiple children together, but that's not the case in, in this. It's oh, just sure. the one because it is tidier that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you're, um, if you're going to do this, you get to make some of those decisions. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I think that's enough of the background. Cause I think some of the other stuff I have is like random snippets of the Cersei myth and then some other thoughts on the book. So why don't we get into the book proper and we can take breaks along the way as like, oh, what about that? What about that? Sure, that sounds like a conversation. Yeah, like the rest of the shows that we've done mostly. Nice pitch. That's a good one. We should, <laughs> someone should do a podcast. Um, so, so in our last episode of Homer Time, which I think has gone up for patrons, but not for everyone else yet. I think everyone else has a couple weeks. Yep. Um, we talked a little bit about like the spectrum of divinity like there are oh sure there are, you get your olympians you're like zeus and your athena's all the way at the top and the titans are up there too yeah um who are like overthrown by the olympians um and then you go down and down and you've got like lesser gods and then you've got greater humans and then it kind of drops off from from there yes um so the odyssey mostly follows Odysseus who is one of the like the, those great mythical heroes and then sometimes Athena is there and sometimes other like you get your Circes and your Calypsos in there mm-hmm. um intermittently. Uh Circe is a nymph. She is a daughter of Helios who is the sun god. He was a titan who switched sides basically. <laughs> oh, I don't think I knew that. Well, let's I don't think I knew you could do that. <laughs> I'm not as yeah, I'm not as well versed in in like canonical myth, myth. Uh, yeah, yeah like canonical yeah. myth so so this part i'm just kind of going off of miller's great okay account but but the way she covers things in other bits of the story that i do know about leads me to believe that probably this is strongly based in something that's established already um yeah helios switched sides and and helped tilt the battle in the favor of the olympians and you know but there but there's been tension between the two sides ever since because 
the Titans who came over to the Olympian side helped tilt the scales and everybody knows it. And there is, there are some sticking points like, you know how Prometheus brought mankind fire and then yep. he gets punished for all eternity because the Eagle comes, takes his liver and stuff. That is a punishment for a Titan devised by Zeus. So it's, on the one hand, the Titans are like, yeah, he deserved it. Like, that's fine. But on the other hand, it's like, well, are you we really cool with this guy who's kind of probably related to all of us somehow like, yeah, <laughs> being tortured forever by this other guy? Some strange bedfellows kind of stuff. Like, we made an alliance with this dude who's totally cool with torturing our one of our own. Yeah, this is just to say that the... the, the Cersei is a daughter of Helios, which means she's uh, she's related to the Titans, but she is, and this is, you know, she's brought up amongst all of these Titans who are overall just, they, they tend to be like hoarier and less smooth and attractive than the Olympians are, are typically portrayed sure. as. Like you get a bunch of like old guys who come up from the sea with all the shells in their beards <laughs> and stuff. Is um, it, is it like a, like. Romans versus the barbaric German tribes kind of feel? Not or... really. No, it's just a couple of different sects, I guess. Okay, okay. Who but... are and 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 Cersei's even like, I mean, why do we even? Why is there even a difference? Like, oh, Zeus okay. is the son of Kronos. Like, we're all the same blood. So why are we drawing this line? Where interesting. We okay, but, okay. Um, that's it's not a huge part of the story, but the first like quarter to third of it i think is cersei um growing up amongst all of these titans she has a few siblings um she does definitely does not get along with her older brother and sister and she does kind of get along with her baby brother for a little while but eventually it goes badly um her little brother is aedes who is okay father of medea who is a mortal uh-huh. he's the guy who tells who gives like Jason of Jason and the Argonauts fame. Love that band. Some of his tasks. And then Medea helps him with his tasks. Uh huh. And that makes Aedes mad. Okay. And then Medea like comes to Cersei's Island that she's been exiled to. We'll talk about that a little bit. Oh, neat. Um, and asks for help and Cersei gives it. And then Aedes is, is who has gotten way into the dark, bad magic <laughs> is really mad at her and then forsakes her. So, so she's kind of she is she eventually gets to a point where she's been cut off from her entire family. But, you know, she feels she feels different from all of the other gods because she is immortal. You know, she does heal when she's hurt. She but but she's a lesser god. Like she doesn't really have any power that she knows of. Okay. Um her voice is described as being like very thin and all the other gods hate listening to it and it turns out that's because she has like a mortal person's voice. Yeah, there's a um, there's She's a happened to not get the cool ringing god voice that <laughs> so many of them have. Yeah, there's a line that came up in one of the articles I read where um, I think of whatever translation Miller had read originally. Homer described Cersei as speaking like a human, and then the line from the Wilson is the goddess who speaks in human tongues. Yeah. So again, so what you're kind of painting and what it sounds like Miller is making is like a a character, a portrait of a character who is like of a group that is already othered from like the Olympians uh-huh. and then is within that group an outsider or becomes an outsider. Yeah. I mean, she okay. is, she is an outsider just by virtue of not being 
completely 100% gorgeous and thus like marriageable because the gods oh, are always okay. scheming and like marrying off their kids just like sure just like royals i guess what is always the... trying to always trying to secure new alliances and get useful people into if the family if they're all immortal how did we just not run out of space for gods if they can make new gods by having sex or whatever but most of them don't die right I mean, sometimes sometimes they do end up dead. Sometimes mm. they end up imprisoned forever. Okay. Sometimes they're just like in the sea or whatever, and we <laughs> yes. don't really notice them. Like, That's a good point. Okay. I don't know where all they are, where they are right now. <laughs> I feel like there's Here no in 2019. Where yeah, they there's go? No, it's there's no myth that really covers the transition to the modern age. I guess where Hephaestus makes a computer and everyone's like, no. It's got Twitter on it. Make it go away. I, well, uh, Helios makes a computer, and the show's called Halt and Catch Fire. Don't at me. Okay, so the book that we're That's talking... That's a good show. Oh, God. <laughs> it's got Lee Pace in it, the uh, Pushing Daisies guy. Uh-huh. Um, I love... What else do you want to know? I love the myths about Lee Pace <laughs> from <laughs> Halt and Catch Fire. I love the Euripides play Lee Pace. Um. So she's an outsider. Why does she get separated from her family, though, you you were saying? Like, why does that happen? It turns out... So, okay. It all starts with this guy named Glaucus. And he is a sailor boy. And he is immortal. And, not immortal. He is amortal. Yeah, and be careful he, about that. Yeah. He, ro- he rose up to the shore where Cersei's moping around. And because she has a human voice, he is not immediately terrified of her. And they strike up a friendship. Okay. And she falls in love with him. Hmm. But he's a man. But he's a mortal man doomed to die. Okay. Um. And she she has heard from her grandmother, I think, of these flowers that supposedly spring up in places where a god's blood has been spilled. So they can't get in a fight and spill each other's blood. I don't know if it kills them usually. Like there is a um. There is a point where Prometheus is. Like he's going from one punishment to the ultimate one that we all know about with the eagle and the liver and stuff. Oh, okay. And he is like whipped in front of the Titans first as kind of a weird show of power. And his blood is like gold and it goes all over the floor and he heals but pretty quickly because he's a there. god. But he's being whipped so much and so quickly that the blood just, his back gets all treaded and the blood's all out there anyway. Um, how did I get here? You were talking. We were talking about blood flowers that she. Why does oh, she yeah. need so, the blood so flowers? So a, a when a god's blood gets spilled, it up come flowers, and they can be a source of magic. But it's bad magic. You shouldn't mess with it. But she is so <laughs> desperate to have Glaucus become a god and and be with her. Oh, that she like not as not as covertly as she thinks she's doing it, but sort of covertly. Um, gets information about where some of these flowers might be found and she finds them. And while Glaucus is sleeping, she like squeezes some of the, like the sap into his mouth and he becomes a God. He becomes this river God guy. Mm -hmm. Um, but Godhood goes to his head real fast. Oh boy. And pretty soon he forgets all about old Cersei 
And he is hanging around with this other nymph named um, Scylla. Yep, yep. Whose name you may recall from mm. the Odyssey. Mm. And Circe is very, she's, she is jealous. Um, she should blame Glaucos, who is being a big tool about this whole thing. <laughs> but she thinks if she can get Scylla out of the way, then you know Glaucus will be mine. Um, so she goes to the place where, and the thing with these flowers is they turn people into who they, you know, truly are. Okay. Supposedly. So he was always um, going to become a god. He was always going to become an old fish, old blue fish man god. Great. Um, and, and so she figures since Scylla's kind of catty and, and nobody likes her that she'll go to the place where she bathes and squeeze in some of this sap and she'll go and she'll bathe and she'll turn into something. And boy, does she. <laughs> yeah. She is. She, um, cause it's skill. It's Scylla and Charybdis. Uh, uh-huh. I don't remember which one is like the Charybdis is the and whirlpool. which one is the Hydra. Charybdis is the whirlpool okay. and Scylla is the Hydra. Okay. Neat. Good job, uh, so Scylla turns. Scylla turns into this. <laughs> Yow. And and not long after this, people are picking on Cersei for sort of unrelated reasons and saying, you know, she's you. Her father basically is saying, like, who are you? You don't. You're not anybody to me. Like, whoa. Um, and she gets upset and she says, well, guess what I did? I turned Glaucus into a god and I turned Scylla into a big, horrible fish monster. <laughs> And so it turns out that all of Cersei's siblings, you know, all of Helios's children by Cersei's mother have these powers to some extent, like they have this, these powers that are deemed witchcraft. It's sort of a combination between like potions and and magic. Yeah. Like she can make the potion do the thing. It doesn't sound like she cast a spell necessarily. Not really. No. I mean, spells, it's like a D and D system where spells have components that you need to cast them. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yes. And you just need to, to know about the components. We'll talk a little bit more about the nature of, of magic later. Um, Okay. So Helio, like, so the Olympians are scared of this magic because they don't understand it. It's not really a thing that they can do. Mm. And the Titans, Helios in particular, they don't want to upset the peace because they want they want to rag on the Olympians some, but they don't have a reason to go to war yet. Well, because they lost. Sure. I mean, even though these are like maybe the ones who were like on the quote unquote right side or the winning side like yeah, but there's still that there's that old tension that yeah, nobody yeah. people want to complain about it but nobody really wants to kill anyone about it just now okay um <laughs> okay so what do they so do Hel- with her? helios goes to zeus and zeus is like well your other kids didn't know anything about this so i guess it's fine but cersei did this on purpose so she's gotta go oh um, and she's she's been exiled to this island. It's one of those great Greek island names that's all vowels. Oh, Aia. Aia. Yeah, it's like... A-E-A-E-A. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Easy to pronounce, easy to give directions to. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Just type it into to Google Maps. Hey, do you know how to get to Aia? Are you okay? Aia. Oh, God. Yeah, gods, indeed. 
So how does she? How did? Okay, a lot of things have been happening. But is this book from her perspective? Is yes. It, okay. So how does she feel about what's going down? She, I mean, her exile is the first time where she hasn't been walking around and having a bunch of other dumb nymphs like snickering at her behind her back the whole time. Okay. So initially on this island, she is really, she is coming into herself. Like she starts to experiment with and really understand her powers. Like she learns about what plants do and how what they do differs based on when you cut them and your mood when you're cutting them and um, not really missing anybody at this early stage. She's, she's discovering that she has kind of a power over an affinity with animals and that she can transform some stuff into other stuff. Like she transforms an acorn into a strawberry. Huh? Um, this is like, this sounds like the first part of home alone where Kevin's all by himself having a great time. Cause he's like, he's got some money. He's buying groceries. He's ordering pizzas. Nobody's trying to break into his house yet. Yeah. The web bandits haven't come yet. And he got what he wanted, which was his family to disappear. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, this makes sense. It's like a version of Home Alone, except Kevin never really wants his parents to come back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he figures out all the traps, and he's like, well, now that I know all these traps, <laughs> Now I'm they'll fine. never come back. They'll never come back. Um, so one day, a group of sailors comes in, and Cersei's kind of, you know, she's been hanging out with uh, Hermes a little bit who hmm. thinks that she's interesting cuz she's a witch who lives on an island by herself so they like bone down sometimes. Whoa, okay. But they don't really like love each other or nothing. Just like a booty call situation. Yeah, cuz he's, you know, he thinks he's better than her and she's just like I'm lonely and on this island, so whatever. Okay, okay. Um got past the time somehow. Yeah. But one day this group of guys comes up on this boat to Aia and she you know gives them wine gives them food and they all ask her oh can I thank your father can I thank your husband and she's like it's just me oh and because she doesn't sound like a god they don't think she's a god and the captain brutally assaults her Ooh. um and that is the first group of guys that she turns into pigs like really just turn them into pigs. She turns them into pigs. Is this the gives them the flower juice that reveals them to have been pigs? No, it's a specific pig spell. Like the, oh, the god okay. flowers are too rare for you to just use on any old guys. Any old guys. Okay. Um sounds like you're gonna find a passage for me right now. So the the description of the transformation is is very graphic, actually. Oh god. <laughs> um his eyes were muddy and uncomprehending. What? He did not finish. His ribcage cracked and began to bulge. I heard the sound of flesh rupturing wetly, the pops of breaking bone. His nose ballooned from his face and his legs shriveled like a fly sucked by a spider. He fell to all fours. He screamed and his men screamed with him. It went on for a long time. As it turned out, I did kill pigs that night after all. Whoa. Um... So there is an episode in between her exile and this where her sister who doesn't like her um Pasiphae, I think her name is, has her come. And she's married this mortal guy named My- Minos. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be hearing names that you recognize mm-hmm. by now. Um, and she has 
boned a cow, like a big white cow. Sure. And she's called on her sister to help her birth the result of this union, and it is the Minotaur. Okay. And the whole crowd goes nuts because they've just been waiting for this Minotaur to show up this whole time. <laughs> They're just playing. She's <laughs> Madeline Miller's just playing the mythological hits at this point. Um, the person who brings her to this island is Daedalus, who is the yep. craftsman guy. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and she is with him because he's she. If you can't tell, she's got kind of a thing for mortals. <laughs> so see, she's, a, yeah. she's attracted to mortals because she's not comfortable with her divinity, really. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so she finds like in Daedalus, whose hands are scarred and he's a little old, but he makes these beautiful things and he's so good at it that even the gods have heard of him. Mm, mm. Because normally, Ooh, like, imagine. for the gods to hear of you, if you're only a little famous, by the time your name gets around, you're dead. I would So for the gods to hear about you when you're still alive means you're a big deal. Like think about how stoked we were when we found out that Emily Wilson knew about our podcast. Imagine right. if Zeus was listening to our podcast. Imagine if Zeus was what <laughs> What's the author equivalent of of Zeus? Oh. I think it's like Stephen King. I was just going to say it might be Stephen King. Because he's very famous and rightly so in a lot of ways, but also he seems a little capricious and he doesn't, he's got some problematic stuff that he's done. I don't think it's J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling is the Hera of. Ooh, this is good. At us, at us with your pantheon of writer gods, uh, please. Obviously, obviously, Aphrodite is Snow Queen's Ice Dragon herself. (laughs) I want to. Um, do you think that uh, Jonathan Franzen is Hades? Ooh, I, maybe. I think he might be. But Hades. he is specifically the version of Hades who's voiced by James Woods. Yeah, yeah, he's Disney <laughs> Hades. Okay, so the the Minotaur is here. Um, oh, but she's got a thing for Daedalus, who's a dude, but which she has Daedalus. more power than because she's a little supernatural. Yeah, yeah, but um, he's a little bit rock and roll. And oh my god! And he gives her he gives her a very nice loom, mm. and then and then she leaves. But you know, and, and there's I don't know. There's a lot of stuff. You eventually get into the the part of the Minotaur story where everybody knows where Theseus goes. Well, Daedalus builds this labyrinth <laughs> to keep the Minotaur in. Circe in in this version of the story has cast a spell on the Minotaur to make him docile most of the time, even though he still wants to eat people duh a lot of the rest of the yeah time. um so yeah theseus goes in to get fed to the minotaur and he ends up killing him and but you know that's that's all off to the side happening in the background the only part of the story we really get is cersei comes to the island helps pacifay birth the minotaur they really just reinforce that they don't like each other very much oh neat okay and it's you know it, it, it's still just it's trying to draw this line even though cersei has come into her own in a lot of ways come into her powers like is more confident and is more capable than she's been before there is still this this dividing line between her and some of her more obviously immortal yeah peers. So, so it's interesting because it's like 
she is one of the couple of characters in the Odyssey where like the one line like summary is a witch on island who turns people into pigs. And if you take that sentence and blow it out to what it would be like if that was an actual person, then yeah, you're going to have this woman who is like developing as a, as a person and growing and changing and yet is not getting any closer to the rest of the world, no matter who shows up. Um, Yeah. So she, so then some dudes show up there jerks and yeah so she's like on her way out to help her sister birth this this minotaur they do sail by where Scylla has taken up residence okay and guys die and she is racked with this guilt because like i indirectly killed these guys by making this monster in a petty fit of peak like i did huh okay and so this is so cersei feels apart from other gods she has this guilt in her that is not an emotion that gods feel a whole lot of the time yeah correct. (laughs) they don't feel guilty about a lot they just kind of do what they want well yeah because you're not gonna die or anything like especially not when you do anything to mortals like that doesn't matter who cares about mortals yeah yeah you barely know any of them sometimes you adopt one like a pet (laughs) like athena does with odysseus It's true. But that's as close as, as most gods get to them, except to father the occasional kid sometime. <laughs> yep. Um, um so that's that's kind of the, the backdrop that I think that gives you what you need to know about Cersei as a character in this book. Okay. Is it's not that she's always unhappy, she does find satisfaction in things, but it's a very tragic sort of past that she's sure. got for, for like a lot of different reasons. Okay. Um, so one of the last things that Hermes tells her before he leaves because he perceives her to be boring. Oh, neat. Um, is that Odysseus is going to come. This guy's going to, this great guy's going to come. And that's the, that's the prophecy. Oh, (laughs) it's the, that's the tweet version of a prophecy. That's it. That's the prophecy. A dude is going to come by. So he does about halfway through the book, maybe a little bit more. He, after we've got a bunch of set up for Cersei, like she's just, she turned dudes into pigs. And that's the, that is where we, like every, every group of men who come to her island, they all end up acting this way and they all get turned into pigs. And it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, who initiates it. It's much like the, and, and Miller draws this line pretty explicitly it's a lot like odysseus's punishment of the suitors like it does the degree to which you are a crappy dude who's sitting and eating all the food in odysseus's house doesn't matter the fact that you're there is enough to condemn you so all these guys get turned into pigs and cersei if you remember from the odyssey turns a few of odysseus's guys into pigs and then odysseus comes yes because they get there first or something or or he i don't know yeah like they're, they're scouting out yeah. Um, or, or whatever. And then he comes and they chat and he, you know, he, he seems different from the men who've been there before. Like he does not seem intimidated by her finery. Like he clearly understands that she's a God. Like he has clocked that in her in a yes. way that most folks don't. Yes. Um, and they, you know, they, they come to a sort of understanding the version of Odysseus you get from Cersei is like a very, smooth talker sort of like deep sort of guy okay um 
Yeah, I was wondering what it was going to be like when we encounter him because whenever you base a fictional work off of a of an ancillary character, there's like when you make the the original protagonist show up, that is always like an, an interesting wrinkle. Um, so he is like, is he like a Dean Martin? Is he a George Clooney? <laughs> Dean Martin. I don't know if this is a very useful axis <laughs> to judge <laughs> Odysseus on, but he is, he presents himself as, you know, I didn't get along with Achilles. He was the, the best of the Greeks, but I didn't really get along with him because my expertise lies in other areas. Like I'm, I'm a good commander of men, but that doesn't make me like a dude who everyone wants to be friends with. And so they're, they're kind of, they're both kind of misanthropic in their own ways and they meet each other and they come to an understanding with each other pretty quickly. Yeah. Okay. Um, is he so, like working an angle? How is he? How is he dealt with like the pigmen thing? Well, I mean, he he. I mean, she, as you remember from the Odyssey, she turns the guys back into guys. Okay. Before very long. Okay. Um, and then they start sleeping with each other, and he stays there for most of a year. Mm-hmm. Um, at first because it's winter and he doesn't want to sail out with his guys, and then after that just because he's kind of enjoying himself a little bit. But you know, he in their very first conversation, he talks about Penelope, and and she knows that he is, you know, he's going to be off before too long. But she is just enjoying this relationship she has found with someone it's actually really funny because it it validates our read of the odyssey i think is um all the men who are with odysseus like they are (laughs) giant children basically (laughs) okay this is talking about the episode from the odyssey where he goes and sees uh, king aeolus and gets that bag of wind yeah (laughs) that almost Uh gets him back back to ithaca Uh uh-huh and it's very tragic because he's like within sight of home. Yeah. And then he falls asleep and his men open this bag of wind and it blows them all the way back to where they were. Um, so he he is telling this story. At last when I could fight it no longer, Odysseus said, I fell asleep. I did not feel them take the bag from my hand. It was the howling of the winds that woke me. They whirled out of the bag and blew us back as if we had never left. Every league undone. They think I grieve for their dead comrades. And I do. But sometimes it is all I can do not to kill them myself. <laughs> They have wrinkles, but no wisdom. I took them to war before they could do any of those things that steady a man. They were unmarried when they left. They had no children. They had no years of lean harvest when they must scrape the bottom of their stores and no good years either that they might learn to save. They have not seen their parents grow old and begin to fail. They have not seen them die. I fear I have robbed them not only of their youth, but their age as well. Ooh. So one, Malin Miller's a good writer. Yeah. And two... That tells you, because we get that story. I mean, it's it's whoever it is who's narrating the Odyssey, like the 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 bard or whatever it is that we're getting that story from, is not Odysseus. But I feel like the book is mostly grounded in Odysseus's perspective. Yes, totally. I think that's like right. it's very pro Odysseus. <laughs> but well, and even as we as we talked about, like it is pro Odysseus, but it is not. Um, blind to his faults and it is aware that he is telling lots of stories all the time yeah um but it is definitely like yeah this guy's he's he is still a hero he's a yeah. complicated man but he is yeah a hero. he's like he, this is this is a, a 
picture of the complicated man who who Odysseus is because often he's just straight up lying. This mm. he's not even he's not working a particular angle, except he is telling the story to Cersei in a way that makes her buy into what his perspective yeah, is. Yeah, like yeah. that's that's the way that he's being clever, which is just a PR term that means lying <laughs> <laughs> when you're talking about Odysseus most of the time. True, true. Um Okay. That also thank you for reading that passage because I did have a note about like what the style of writing was in the book. And it sounds like it is not slavishly old fashioned but oh, no, not, not anachronistic it yeah. is it is striking a good balance it it's not like. like odysseus shows up and he's like hey what's up <laughs> yeah hey what's up you you cool <laughs> uh-huh. but but it is nor nor is it like trying to adhere to meter or anything weird no like and, that. and it's yeah. not doing that the thing that wilson critiqued where you're trying to where you introduce a bunch of highfalutin Words, words yeah. and old-fashioned phrases to sort of elevate your thing into some kind of artificial stuffy epicness. Sure. Well, so but you- nor nor is it like Odysseus. And Odysseus was down to clown, and he <laughs> until he was dead in the ground. <laughs> like it's not it's not that either. <laughs> the Odyssey, translated by Polly Shore. Um. So. It sounds like he starts, he is lying to her, and I imagine that does not go great. It's not even, it's not even lying. It's, it's telling his story and, and the truth of his story as he perceives it. But that's the important part is like, this is how, this is the story as he perceives it. She gets an image of him that is, you know, himself as he sees himself. Yeah, sure, sure. And he is, even if when he's not like overtly fabricating stuff, he is spinning stuff. And there's, a, you know, it's a, it's a subtle difference, but mm-hmm. there is a difference between a lie and a spin. Yeah. And I don't think Odysseus can, st- even when he's telling the truth, even when he's connecting with somebody, like he does obviously connect with Cersei. Yes. He can't totally stop the spin. Lord of and lies, we'll, Sultan of spin. Well, and and we'll get more, um, the the stuff that happens after the Odyssey part of the book is over, yeah, paints a paints a more like tragic, sad picture of Odysseus that again is firmly grounded in the in the text as we read it. Sure, when sure. When we're asking like, is Odysseus a good dude? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so um, how does how does his time there wrap up in this version? I mean, that's essentially as it does in the Odyssey. Um, she is never keeping him there like as soon as he expresses the desire to leave she with her she has some limited like powers of prophecy that she fills him in on she she tells him as she does in the in the odyssey go to this the you know the shady pine grove or whatever it is and do this stuff and talk to all the folks in the in underworld underworld yeah right and and talk to tyrisius and then come back and then you can go so he does that and then he leaves. And at the end of the chapter where he is left, she is taking stock of all of her herbs and stuff. And there's one particular herb that she's taken with every moon, but not the last one. Oh, no. Craig, do you know what happens 
Do you know what the moon the moon times do to a lady? I have heard of these moon times. And I definitely know what you're talking about. Doesn't it suck? Wouldn't it suck to be a goddess, but like still have to deal with periods? Yeah, stuff? like what? Like, that sounds like a raw deal. What is that? You're immortal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess gods can have kids, but like as we know, like they can have kids out of their head. Like they don't have to have kids the normal way if they don't want to. Well, I can't imagine that goddesses have like a limited number of eggs or anything like like mortal women yeah, do either so like not. what is the what's that whole what's that whole system doing yeah like is there god menopause like probably not this is hmm maybe it's just lesser goddesses who have to deal with with menses May- yes. but but that seems unfair it does seem it does seem unfair hmm if the gods had to deal with periods, then somebody would have come up with a way to do something about it. But they don't. So there's nothing. Um, I see how it is. So she's pregnant. She gives birth to a son who she names Telegonus. And Odysseus, of course, has told her about Penelope. He's t- been telling her about Penelope this whole time. He tells her about Telemachus, the the baby boy who he left behind. And he has nothing but good things to say about either of them. Yep. Um and so she names him Telegonus. He is a very fussy baby. And it, as somebody who's between yeah, six how was and that? like between six and ten weeks out at this point, depending on the baby's schedule. Sure. Which is the only reading, schedule that matters. Like reading a goddess who doesn't even need sleep complain about how tired this baby made her. Oh, I was like, no. Man, I really hope I don't have one of those. <laughs> oh, boy. Is she like using her potion powers to make the baby like calm and stuff? She tries once, but she like falls over and conks his head, and she oh, feels gosh. really bad. Okay, about it. that's um, good. Well, she doesn't want him to be like scared of her, but he he does grow up into a decent guy. But he's also a very charismatic guy. Like there is one, mm. you know, a group of a group of sailors shows up, and he is so obviously like a leader of men. Oh gosh! Just by virtue of of genetics, right? Like he's the son of a goddess and Odysseus. Like yeah. he is, he's a mortal, but he is, you know, he he has a way of like captivating people's attention and their and their affection. Okay, because it's like this fifteen year old boy who looks older than he is already, like enchanting this this shit full of rough sailing types. Okay, okay, because he's so he's so good at at being in charge it's like a youtube star that's what he is yeah right he's the logan paul of, no, no we got us all these modern references some of them are working better than others <laughs> i wasn't gonna go right there but i do think that he is he's I'm tapped 30, into I'm, something i'm 33 years old how many youtubers do you think i can name <laughs> mm, that's a good that's a good question <laughs> yeah so what is her relationship to him? Because now she has someone that has been on this island with her for years. I mean, it's because he kind of wants to, you know, he's been raised with nobody. He just, he wants somebody. He wants some kind of family. And he knows, I forget at what point Cersei tells him about his dad. Okay. But she does tell him about Odysseus and like Penelope and Telemachus. And he resolves to go and mm. see them and, and meet his dad and hopefully endear himself to, to their family. And Cersei's like, well, do you think they're going to 
take super kindly to Odysseus's kid by another mom just like rowing up and saying, Hey everyone. <laughs> hey everybody. But he's a he is a a sweet and open guy. And he's very guileless. Oh, okay. And which which is interesting because Odysseus is guile personified, right? Yep. Um, but Telegonus has not been exposed to any of this. So he's, you know, he's very he he's open and easy to like, as okay. you have you seen. Um so Cersei to help protect him goes down to the depths of the ocean and, and talks to this big, you know, god slash creature with a very poisonous tail and there's this there's this whole episode where she's like can i can i hey man can i borrow the poison point of your tail and he's like well anybody can borrow it if you want to reach out and grab it and just yank it off what and the test turns out to be yeah if you're so if you're if you want it so badly that you're willing to like poison yourself for it then hey you can just have it so that's a cool test. That's the best kind of test. Oh, so does she get poisoned? No, she doesn't get poisoned. Okay. So she grabs, she grabs the, she gets a point of his tail and she gives it to him and is like, never let the spear go. This is, I'm trying to protect you because what's happened shortly after he's born is Athena comes a Colin. Huh? And she is like, someone I love is in danger from this baby and I'm going to kill it. Whoa. And Cersei's like, well, no, you're not. And so creates the spell that needs refreshed like every month for 16 years to keep Athena from coming in and, and killing her son. Whoa. And so she is, she is rightly worried for his safety. Like not, not just that he will get a chilly reception from the family that he hope, he's hoping to impress, but also that Athena will literally kill him. Yo. And so what happens is really tragic and I need to speed up a little bit. That's okay. Um, what happens is, is tragic. He gets to Ithaca. Odysseus isn't there initially, but Penelope and Telemachus receive him warmly enough because he's a nice boy. Mm-hmm. And then Odysseus rows up. He's got a boat full of treasure, like Odysseus style. <laughs> yeah. And he sees this boat and he sees Telegonus and he's like, you're a pirate. Get off my <laughs> island. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> And Telegonus is trying to say, no, 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 no. Like, let's go. Let's go talk to your wife and son. Let's go. And Odysseus doesn't want to. And as they are grappling, the the tip of this poison spear brushes Odysseus's cheek and Odysseus dies. No. And Telegonus returns to Aea, to Circe. And in tow, he has none other than Penelope and Telemachus. Oh, really? And Circe thinks, well... This is bad for me because these people are definitely here to kill me, right? (laughs) (laughs) But we get from Telemachus, who was in the Odyssey a soft boy and remains kind of a soft boy. But it's like he says of Odysseus, like he wanted to know how to like run a farm or to brush a sheep or like to to do all this mundane stuff. So he knew how to do it, but he didn't want to. He didn't want to do it. Like he didn't want doing that to be his lot in life. Yeah, Essentially he yeah. got home, he kills all the suitors. So if you remember the Odyssey ends pretty ar- abruptly with this big rumble that's about to happen, like all the older yes, guys on yes. Ithaca are mad that Odysseus has killed all their sons. And 
Athena has to chill them a out. A fight almost breaks out, but Athena chills them out. But the story keeps going after that because not only are the the guys, you know, the dads and the families of the suitors upset, but Odysseus left Ithaca with a lot of guys and none of them came back. Ooh. And so they, you know, they have very real beef with him. And because of all this, Odysseus becomes super suspicious. He starts seeing conspiracies everywhere. Um, every time he seems like he's becoming contented, you know, a silvered sheen falls over him and he gets upset again. And that's Athena egging him on to further adventure because as we've seen of their relationship in the Odyssey, like it's very weird and codependent <laughs> and she unhealthy. And they're, and they're all just playing lying. They're playing lying games with each other all the time. And and Miller's interpretation of that is they just do that because they can't not do that, yeah, which is as compelling yeah. an explanation for their behavior as I think we've well, we that, ever came up with that certainly seems to seems to be in concert with other like Greek heroes like they they can't not be the the mold that they are sculpted in like if they are meant to be a warrior they will fight and it will lead to their doom at some point kind of stuff yeah um, yeah okay okay and so as you know just as Odysseus was clever and could never trust anything at face value telemachus is all face value like he brings a knife onto the island and cersei is like well that's very clever if you bring a sword or a spear like obviously i'm gonna know what's up but if you just bring like a hunting knife that could be for anything and with telemachus yeah he just brought a hunting knife and it could be for anything like he didn't he didn't come trying to kill anybody Um, he just knew knives are useful yeah he just knew knives are useful and so he's you know he's this hardworking guy but he didn't free the house from the suitors he didn't go off to war odysseus is you know kind of digging at him like odysseus is implying all the time that he's not proud of him because you know what kind of son are you when when we went off to troy you know there were people who were 14 15 years old and that's as old as you were and yet i had to come home and do all this stuff to the suitors huh and and telemachus is just not he's not seeking the kind of glory that Odysseus seeks and Odysseus doesn't respect him for it. So basically Telemachus and Penelope aren't even really that mad. Telemachus yeah, is, is, is peace. upset yeah, okay. because he didn't have the father that people told him he had. Well, like his entire yes. childhood and like teenagerhood. Well, and that's interesting because now you've brought those two characters onto this island with a woman who was separated from her family on some very similar feelings, right? Which explains mm-hmm. why they might connect rather than fight and throw down. And so, yeah, and so they all do. And and Penelope also, if you remember from the Odyssey, like she's very clever, but in a slightly more passive way where she was just, she was thinking, you know, I waited out the suitors. I waited out Odysseus's absence. If I wait long enough, eventually Odysseus will settle down and be fine. Yeah. She endures. She does not act on things in the same way that other characters do. And, you know, there was a, there was a rift that came up between her and Telemachus too, because they were very close for a very long time. But then Odysseus, Odysseus gets home, and the whole vibe sucks. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. So so Telemachus, even though he's supposedly the prince of Ithaca at this point, like he's just not welcome on the island because he had kind of been 
cut off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit. And like Laertes is dead. Uh, Eurycleia, the old nurse, is dead. Like anybody who could have been a moderating influence on Odysseus and who could have helped repair this relationship is gone, mm. which has only helped to sort of increase Odysseus's paranoia in the first place. Hmm. So, yeah, it's a everyone is sad. And this is, a, you know, the whole situation is eventually explained to Leganus, who has just <laughs> some ripped up about the whole thing. <laughs> oh, no, poor kids. Because he thinks, oh, I killed my dad. And they're like, no, it's fine. He was a jerk. They're not even they're not even like that. Like, they don't they don't tell him that at first. Like, Cersei slowly breaks this news okay. to him and he comes to this understanding. Um but after, you know, they've been there for a couple of weeks and Hermes comes down and is like, hey, Athena needs to talk to talk to Telemachus. Um, and, you know, Cersei's been keeping Athena off with a spell for for years and years. And she thinks, you know, Athena is the she wanted to kill my kid. She probably still wants to do that. And she knew that Odysseus dying at his hands was the thing that that was going to happen you know she came down and said somebody who i love is going to suffer at the hands of your of your child and obviously this is this was the thing as as foretold yeah um but she kind of you know she she kind of resigns herself and is like okay like let's just let's just get it over with athena comes down and offers telemachus the opportunity to go and build a city in the like vicinity of of Italy. So what's been what's been mentioned once or twice in this book is that Aeneas has gone from Troy and he's founded the city that would end up becoming Rome. Oh, okay. And so one of the one of the works that Miller's drawing from here is the Aeneid, which Yeah, she's I'm like really, she I'm likes really, Virgil. I'm really fascinated by the Aeneid because it is basically like state sponsored propaganda. Yeah. Tying the Roman Empire and its rulers into this like literary tradition and and building this version of Rome's history where like it was fated to be forever and also Hey, what if we conquered Greece? But like it was supposed, <laughs> like, but like it was supposed to be that way. So y'all should be happy about it because yeah, your right, gods right. were involved. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and this Neat. is you know the the Greeks did this thing to our people way 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 back in the day oh, and whatever geez. whatever. Um, but you know, Telemachus is supposed to go and form this city that is supposed to contain Rome. Okay, essentially. And Telemachus is, he says, I don't want it. And Athena is like, what are you talking about? Like, do you just want to die and be nobody? And Telemachus is like, yeah, that's fine. It didn't. Did we not read that part of the Odyssey where Achilles was like, I would have loved to be alive and nobody, please? Yeah. <laughs> but Tele- and Telemachus is the rare sort of the, the rare person in this upper echelon of humanity who doesn't need to die to understand this lesson. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And so Athena turns to Telegonus and says, well, what about you? And Telegonus doesn't want to make his mom upset, but so obviously wants to go and do it. Huh. That, you know, and Cersei doesn't, you know, she knows that if he stays on this island, he's he's going to be. They They have been drawn closer by Telegonus's experiences like going out and, and the thing that happened to Odysseus like they are close like they have never been before but she doesn't want him to be 
tied down as unhappy as he would be if he had to stay on this island because as we've seen he's a very charismatic guy like he's a leader of of people like he'd this is right up his alley this is this is a good he's got to get out of this two-bit town you know yeah make it Um, on his own so she takes him and athena does takes him yeah athena takes him and they go and so the okay so the story ends telemachus and penelope and cersei are all still there Cersei and Telemachus are vibing. Oh. Which is, she thinks is a little weird even because like, <laughs> I slept with his dad. His son, my son is his half brother. Like, what are we, what are we yep. doing? Um, she calls down, she finally relents and calls down Helios to, to meet. And she says to him, I don't want to be exiled anymore. I want to be done with this. And he says, why would I do this? And she says, okay, I talked to Prometheus and I know all about how you guys all grumble about the Olympians. And if you don't let, if you don't go up to Zeus and get him to let me go, I'm going to go to Zeus and tell him all of your dirt. I've got the DMs. I've got the receipts. I've got the receipts and I'm going to tell Zeus about it. Oh my God. <laughs> I hacked your email, Helios. And so she is, she, she frees herself from her exile. Telemachus, and she has, you know, she clearly has a mission in mind. She has some stuff she wants to do. And Telemachus is like, I would like to come with you, please. Okay. It's reviving. And Penelope <laughs> is like, I don't want to go back to Sparta. Like, I'm not really feeling connected to the world. Maybe I'll just hang out on this island and see what witchcraft is. What? Because it's it's witchcraft is part blood, but it's mostly will. Like, you just have yeah. to want it okay. and put okay. the time in and you can become a witch. So Penelope kind of ends the story as a witch, which is rad as heck. That is pretty rad. And, like, her taking the mantle of the Calypsos and Circes of the Odyssey is kind of cool. That's neat. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, Does Telemachus become a God when he goes with her? Well, so, okay. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to get to that. Um, Circe's original sin is, is Scylla, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's this, this guilt about Scylla has been underlying her, you know, her character for this entire book. And so she has, She's extracted the poison from the spearhead, you know, the poison spearhead that she still has. Yep. And created this potion. She and Telemachus are in a boat. They're sailing to where Scylla lives. Mm-hmm. They draw. Th- this part's kind of cool because when you, apparently when you transform people, like you don't transform their minds, which you might remember from yes. the Odyssey. So they catch 12 fish and they turn them into like rams. Oh, cool. And the only reason the Rams can still stand up is because they're all packed together on this boat. Because otherwise, they like don't know what it is what like to have is? legs. Yeah, <laughs> that's clever. Okay, so she ties this concoction that she's made to one of the Rams because Scylla grabs either six or twelve guys, depending on how slow you are. Um, Scylla grabs all these Rams, eats them up. And then is is poisoned and falls out of her, you know, her hole in the side of this island that she's been on and becomes this big stone like outcropping. And, you know, it, while, it as this happens, all, all of Telemachus and Circe's like stores are washed overboard. They end up stranded on this island together. And that's when 
things get sexy. Ooh. Uh, so Telemachus and Cersei are are getting it on, and they're very happy with each other. They return to Aiea and visit with Penelope for a little bit, which is when you'd when you'd see clearly she's becoming a witch, which is great. And then they go off to find some of these flowers that let you become your true self. And the entire book ends with this. This it it is not how the book ends. It's like a what if version of how the story might end. How was that um, set up? Like, is it Cersei envisioning a possibility, or what? Do, what do you mean by what if? Um, I guess I'll just read this last mo- this last chapter to close. I know we're running a little bit. No, long, no, we're good. Just, we're good. It's very good. Um, and I don't I don't feel as bad about spoilers because this is all kind of mythology a riff on established yeah. myth so i mean this book is really really good and i can't it's it's an amazing companion to wilson's odyssey in particular sure um because it's it's playing on a lot of the same characteristics that will that wilson's prose like brings out so even if you i know we don't get to read for not the show very often but maybe when i'm on paternity leave and you don't have anything to do for a month and a half maybe you read this book because it's a good book <laughs> Um, Maybe I'll go read Song of Achilles so we can compare. The frogs had gone to their wallows. The salamanders slept in brown holes. The pool showed the moon's half face, the pinpoints of stars, and all around bending near the wavering trees. I knelt on the bank thick with grass. Before me was the old bronze bowl I had used for my magic since the very first. The flowers rested beside me in their pale root swaddles. Stem by stem, I cut them and squeezed out the drops of running sap. The bottom of the bowl grew dark. It too began to show the moon. The last flower I did not squeeze, but planted there on the shore where the sun fell every morning. Perhaps it could grow. I could feel the fear in myself gleaming like water. These water, these flowers had made Scylla a monster, though all she had done was sneer. Glaucos had become a monster of sorts too. Everything that was kind in him driven out by Godhead. I remembered my old terror from Telegonus' birth. What creature waits within me? My imagination conjured up horrors. I would sprout slimy heads and yellow teeth. I would stalk down to the hollow and savage Telemachus to pieces. But perhaps, I told myself, it would not be like that. Perhaps all I hoped would come to pass, and Telemachus and I would go to Egypt indeed, and all those other places. We would cross and recross the seas, living on my witchcraft and his carpentry. And when we came to a town a second time, the people would step out of their houses and greet us." He would patch their ships and I would cast charms against biting flies and fevers and we would take pleasure in the simple mending of the world. The vision blossomed vivid as the cool grass beneath me as the black sky over my head. We would visit the lion gate of Mycenae where Agamemnon's heirs ruled and the walls of Troy, their stones chilled by winds from ice-peaked Ida. We would ride elephants and walk in the desert night beneath the eyes of gods who had never heard of Titans or Olympians who took no more notice of us than they did of the sand beetles toiling at our feet. He would say to me that he wanted children, and I would say, you do not know what you are asking of me. And he would say, this time you are not alone. We have a daughter and then another. Penelope attends my birthing bed. There is pain, but it passes. We live on the island when the children are young and visit often after. She weaves and casts spells while nymphs glide around her. However gray she gets, she never seems to tire. But sometimes I see her eyes turn to the horizon where the house of the dead and its souls wait. 
The daughters I dream of to life are different from Telegonus and different from each other. One chases the lines in circles while the other sits in a corner watching and remembering everything. We are wild with our love for them, standing over their sleeping faces, whispering about what she said today, what she did. We bring them to meet Telegonus, throned among his golden orchards. He leaps from his couch to embrace us all and introduces us to his captain of the guard, a tall, dark-haired youth who never leaves his side. He is not married yet, and he may not ever be, he says. I smile, imagining a theme his frustration so polite he is yet firm and immovable as one of his own city walls i do not worry for him i have aged when i look in my polished bronze mirror there are lines upon my face i'm thickened too and my skin has begun growing loose i cut myself at my herbs and the scars stay sometimes i like it sometimes i am vain and dissatisfied but i do not wish myself back of course, my flesh reaches for the earth. That is where it belongs. One day, Hermes will lead me down to the halls of the dead. We will scarcely recognize each other, for I will be white-haired, and he will be wrapped in his mystery as leader of souls the only time he is solemn. I think I will enjoy seeing that. I know how lucky I am, stupid with luck, to cram with it, stumbling drunk. I wake sometimes in the dark, terrified by my life's precariousness, its thready breath. Beside me, my husband's pulse beats at his throat. In their beds, my children's skin shows every faintest scratch. A breeze would blow them over, and the world is filled with more than breezes, diseases and disasters, monsters and pain, and a thousand variations. I do not forget either my father and his kind hanging over us, bright and sharp as swords, aimed at our tearing flesh. If they do not fall on us in spite and malice, then they will fall by accident or whim. My breath fights in my throat. How can I live on beneath such a burden of doom? I rise then and go to my herbs. I create something. I transform something. My witchcraft is as strong as ever, stronger. This too is good fortune. How many have such power and leisure and defense as I do? Telemachus comes from our bed to find me. He sits with me in the green-smelling darkness, holding my hand. Our faces are both lined now, marked with our years. Circe, he says, it will be all right. It's not the saying of an oracle or a prophet. They are words you might speak to a child. I have heard him say them to our daughters when he rocked them back to sleep from a nightmare, when he dressed their small cuts, soothed whatever stung. His skin is familiar as my own beneath my fingers. I listen to his breath warm upon the night air, and somehow I am comforted. He does not mean that it does not hurt. He does not mean that we are not frightened, only that we are here. This is what it means to swim in the tide, to walk the earth, and feel it touch your feet. This is what it means to be alive. Overhead, the constellations dip and wheel. My divinity shines in me like the last rays of the sun before they drown in the sea. I thought once that gods are the opposite of death, but I see now they are more dead than anything, for they are unchanging and could hold nothing in their hands. All my life I have been moving forward, and now I am here. I have a mortal's voice. Let me have the rest. I lift the brimming bowl to my lips and drink. Mm. That is it. Yeah, okay. So... It's the opposite of the thing that you said. It's the short cool. version. No, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and well, and and is an interesting. So, like all of these character arcs, and I was not expecting. This can kind of take us home. I was not expecting the other characters to have such different stuff happen for them in the in the back end of this book, and not stuff that is like totally revamping what their characters are about. Like, sure, it is. It is just that kind of creativity that says, well, what if we took where they ended and then like filled in some blanks? And I was expecting yeah, the, the, the nothing, Cersei blanks, yeah. but not the other people. Yeah. there's And there's nothing here that is not, that is not completely supported by the, the text of the mythology as, as we know it, which is, I think the most impressive thing that the, that the book does. Yeah, for it's sure. It's like, it, it creates something that is 
obviously like in some parts just a straight up retelling of a book that exists already but she adds new stuff in really subtle and and great ways cool yeah well it sounds like a a pretty good book then this is a good one thanks for telling me about it you're welcome um if folks want to tell us about their pantheon of writers they should send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com hit us up on twitter or facebook at overduepod thanks to cheyenne mandy sydney andrea reed jen aaron amit scott joseph val and everyone else getting excited about hellboys a divine hellboys a divine comedy podcast (laughs) all the all the spooky things um, Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They can go to overduepodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, our RSS feed. Rate and review us on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. Apple can't just call it one thing, which I find frustrating, but maybe they'll get there one day. <laughs> um, and if you want to hear episodes of Hellboys and some other things early, uh, patreon.com slash overdue pods a way to support us and to get those bonus episodes ahead of time um, Craig next week tell me about it I'm reading Drowning Ruth by Christina Schwartz I think it was published in like 2000 or 2001 it was in Oprah's book club um, it's interesting it's like yeah. set around the first world war so uh, slightly different time period than ancient Greece <laughs> but still not our our day-to-day lives and so. if you're looking if you are looking for more agent grease coverage from us here at overdue um this past friday we released an interview we did with emily wilson who translated the version of the odyssey we've been reading and then at the end of the month on may 31st our last episode of stop homer time drops it's just book 24 and then our our wrap-up thoughts about mm-hmm. it i think it probably makes more sense to listen to that one and then this one, but hopefully we won't repeat ourselves too much. I don't think we did. I don't think we did. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I have talked a lot in the last hour and 15 minutes. Well, that's you were so excited about the book. That's, that's okay. a good book. You wanted to make sure we were jazzed about it the same way that you were. Yeah. So everybody get jazzed. Or go away forever. Okay, everyone. Thanks for listening. Until next week, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.